Sunday, January 7, 2018. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and it's been a, a fun weekend of college basketball. Three top five teams, Michigan State, Duke, and Xavier, uh, lost road games to unranked opponents. Arizona did as well. But the big one, I think, is the most recent one. It happened Sunday afternoon, went final within the past hour. Ohio State 80, number one Michigan State 64. So there have now been three times this season when the school that's ranked number one in the AP poll has lost first time, it was Boston college over number one, Duke. Then it was Butler over number one, Villanova. And now it's Ohio state over number one, Michigan state, which like I tweeted earlier, suggests the biggest threats to uh, top ranked teams. This season has been Boston college plus players who either used to play for Chris Holt, Chris Holtman or players who currently play for Chris Holtman. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Very bizarre. Credit to Ohio State. I watched the second half. I missed the first half of that game. Watched most of the second half. Uh, I'm shocked. I mean, Ohio State's at home. I understand that. But he is doing a great job. And we'll see where they can go within this league. 12-4. and four, They are building an NCAA tournament resume. The Big Ten's going to be... Uh, just a quagmire throughout the season, and I think we most people realize that over the past two weeks. But these kind of results really make it interesting, not just within the league race, but then these draw you know greater conversations. And if you want to get into this on this podcast, we can, or if you want to save it for later in the week, we can do that as well. About who the best team is, how good the top of the sport is overall. You do have a little bit of a function of scheduling here. I definitely think there is no elite team in college basketball. You can't really make that argument right now. Uh, but I will also say that a lot of these teams that are ranked in the top 10 or 15 are also being put on the road. Not all of them in exceptionally harsh environments like Ohio State's got a nice arena and all that, but it's not considered like a top 30 tough place to play in all of college basketball. It's just not. Um, but that, if anything, that just speaks more to how well uh, Keita Bates Jot played and how well Chris Holtman's doing. Michigan State, I still think they're going to be a really good team. I think by the time we get to March, we're still going to have teams that, you know, they're going to look like one seeds. Like, there are going to be teams that separate themselves, and they're going to look better than teams in, you know, Tier B, Tier C, Tier D, and all of that stuff. But it was a really interesting weekend, and in a lot of ways, GP, it was a microcosm of what we've seen so far this season in just that there are no teams that are separating themselves yet overall. Um, I have a, uh, I have a wonderment about your top 25 and one. I don't know how deep you are into it yet, but um, before I get to, I guess, the team that I might suggest to be there, uh, what are your biggest takeaways from, if you want to, sp- you know, zone in on, on the OSU game, that's fine, but obviously a number of, uh, of really good teams r- fell to unranked teams this weekend, and so the AP poll come Monday is just going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be uh, going in every which way and every which direction, and um, yeah, we've got a lot of uncertainty right now in the second week of January. Yeah, on Ohio State real quick, I think it's important to note that Gene Smith, the athletic director in Columbus, in June, decided to fire Thad Mata. And the reason essentially was he knew that he was going to not accept um, another bad season relative to Ohio State standards. And he looked at the roster and said, there's no way we're not going to have a bad season. So, like, let's just go ahead and pull the trigger now. 
If I'm going to do it in March, do it now. I'm looking at the roster, and there's no reason to think that we're going to be good. And yet they're good. And, you know, I, I think that's a testament to, to the job Chris has been able to do. You know, everybody remembers that when he got the Butler job, it was like Butler after Brad Stevens. But when he got that Butler job, they were not good. They had not been good the year before, and they weren't supposed to be good that year. And he made them good. He kept them good. And now he's taking over Ohio State, and you know, they just beat the number one team in the country today. And so, uh, listen, it's way too early to start giving out coach awards mm-hmm. or any awards, except for maybe National Player of the Year and Trey Young. But uh, certainly the favorite to be Big Ten Coach of the Year at this point, you'd have to say is Chris Holman, right? Um, It's close. I mean, listen, you know, they are 12-4. and four, But the, the big picture here is if they play to average – it will be an above-average season for Ohio State, certainly expectation-wise. And just to bring listeners in just a little bit here, like I'm not talking out of school here. You know, I spoke with Holtman in the off-season, and then I saw him in Portland. And the fact of the matter is, like the roster that he was dealing with here, he just said the way the roster is comprised, we're not without talent. Like we have some here, but. I do not have the diversity in my backcourt that I ha- I have not. It's been a long time since Gardner-Webb when I'm looking down at my bench and just the way that I want to run things, I don't have those kind of pieces right now. He wasn't complaining, just saying how it was. And for him to do what he's done to this level, and it wasn't just that they beat Michigan State. I mean, this was a manhandling. And Well, you, well, you, you said you watched the second half where it really turned on him as like the last – 90 seconds of the first half like Ohio State just ran away from them and then Tom's obviously furious and what you expect is for them to go to the locker room and then like Michigan State's gonna come out and look like Michigan State and they just didn't they came out and it was more of the same but for about the first I'd say 18 minutes of that game it was kind of back and forth whatever like and then Ohio State took off and then they came out for the second half and just kept pouring it on. It was an impressive performance. It was. And uh, so credit to Ohio State. I don't know what they're going to wind up. I mean, maybe they just wind up getting into the NIT. Um, and that's okay, by the way. Um, you know, d- that would be an acceptable season given what they have. But this kind of win, it does help. And, in fact, the fact they blew that game to Butler in Portland uh, maybe is something that winds up stinging them down the road because who knows where this is going to go. But if they just miss – if they don't get in, it's going to be because they lost that game they should have won against the Bulldogs, who, like Ohio State, have a win over a number one ranked team in the country. So credit to them. Um, Michigan State, I don't think we need to get too deep on them right now. Let's let you know it's a, it's a road loss. I still think this is a top five team in the country. Um, and they, they, bound, they got Rutgers at home Wednesday, Michigan at home, Indiana at home coming up. So they've got a good – then they go on the road to Illinois like – if they lose one of those GP, let's circle back. But I, I think that we're going to be okay with the Spartans overall. Maybe they're not the number one team in the country right now, but I, I still think this is going to be a one seed when we get to March. Uh, real quick on Michigan State. Um, listen, on Sunday morning, I had them ranked number one uh, in the top 25 and one because Duke, of course, lost on Saturday. And that was really the, I don't want to say the only sensible direction to go. But if I would have then leapfrogged somebody else over Michigan State, the Michigan State fans that already thought I was bananas for not having them number one like they are in the AP poll and the coaches poll, like it would have gotten really ugly. I didn't want to deal with that. I've been traveling a lot. I just wanted to try to like get my head together on this Sunday. So I had Michigan State number one. But one of the points that I made, I think it was on last one of the podcasts last week, was like, yeah, they've been rolling and uh, overwhelming the opposition. 
But when you looked at their resume, it was like, okay, a Vic neutral court went over a North Carolina team that's good, but a North Carolina team that's also stacked losses and has one to Wofford at home. Uh, they got the win over Notre Dame, which seemed great at the time. But like what we found out about Notre Dame is they weren't quite um, in this season what they were supposed to be. And then it was like Nebraska, Rutgers, Southern Utah, Oakland, Houston Baptist, Long Beach State, Cleveland State, Savannah State, a Maryland team without Justin Jackson. Like uh, to win them all, it's, there's something to be said for that. But it wasn't like they'd been completely overwhelming good teams. And so I was not skeptical that they were fraudulent or something like that. I just didn't know why everybody thought it was a no-brainer uh, this time last week that Michigan State had to be number one. All that said, I didn't expect them to go get handed to them in Columbus like that. But you know, I, I think you said it well. Like, I, I, There's not an elite team in college basketball this season. It's not Michigan State. It's not Duke. It, I don't think it's Villanova, although Villanova's really good. Um, I just uh, – we've already, I think, learned that – even if you've got a one next to your name, you're susceptible to losing to um, an unranked team, um, uh, particularly on the road, because we've now seen it happen, I guess, three times now. On Ohio State, I would say this: you, I like, I would, I would predict NCAA tournament now, and for two reasons: one, they're already 13 and four, and four and zero in the league, like they're already off to an incredible start in the Big Ten. And then beyond that, like, who? Who's clearly better than them? Even if we didn't think they were going to be good, once you look up on January 7th and you go, okay, who's clearly better than Ohio State in the Big Ten? I, I think Purdue, probably. Yes. I think I think Michigan State, despite yes. what we saw today. And I think that's it. Clearly better than them? Yeah. Um, that's I mean, uh, you could, just yeah, absolutely you could, bonkers to me. Uh, right. Oh No, it sounds bonkers. but I think Maryland that, is better than Ohio State. What? And I think even with roster issues at full strength, Minnesota is better than Ohio State. But if we're only going to go there, that's still fifth. Right. Big Ten's going to be bad. They're still going to get five. Uh, they would. It would have to be just an absolute, uh, just a calamity <laughs> of suck uh, to not get five in from that league. You could have a point there. What's going to hurt them here is I think they're just still going to take losses, Parrish. And since uh, this is going to be a, a monster that just eats itself, I, I just wonder if, if Ohio State's going to get to a point where they take on enough bad losses. I could be wrong. You're absolutely, you know, we could be on the right track here. Um, and this is not somewhere where we thought we'd be previously. Because yeah. the other thing with uh, Ohio State, real quick, the losses right now are all respectable. Gonzaga, Butler, Clemson, North Carolina, not a bad loss in that bunch. Uh, no. And so, yeah, like uh, when I look at Ohio State and you're right, like Minnesota might be better. Maryland might be better, but it, it, but clearly better. I think there's only two teams that are yeah. obviously better than Ohio State. If I were projecting right now, I would project them in the NCAA tournament. And um, that would be an incredible first season uh, at OSU for for Chris Holtman. Let's move to uh, the number two team in the AP poll at this moment. And that's the Duke Blue Devils, because they lost uh, at NC State. Uh, again, it does feel like they lose at NC State more often than they win at NC State, regardless of whether NC State's worth the crap or not. Um, but they go there and and um, just can't guard anybody. I mean, their defensive efficiency number is now outside of the top 100. And I don't care how many pros you got or how many um, or how great you are offensively, and they are great offensively. That that. That type of defense, that's it, it. It makes you susceptible to almost anybody. And here they are now with two losses to 
sub-70 Kinpom teams. That's not what we expected when we were talking about this team um, in the preseason. You know, listen, they were obviously young, and we're going to go through it a little bit at some point, but I didn't think it'd be at Boston College or at NC State. Yeah, um, NC State. Kevin Keats, this is his first ACC win as a head coach. That's got to feel tremendous, and you're right. I think for the past nine times NC State has defeated a top-10 team, that has come against Duke, and that would include last season when Dennis Smith helped uh, punctuate a win in Cameron, uh, which <laughs> which signaled the end of the Mark Gottfried era, by the way. like <laughs> Just a weird thing overall. Uh, State fans, I'm sure you're loving this. Enjoy it. I don't think you're going to get into the tournament this year. Probably going to be an NIT team. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. A month from now, you guys are rolling, and I'll eat crow for sure. But that's just a really nice win for a program. First-year head coach. Let's talk about Duke here because the offense is good, and I know we're going to get to the West Virginia-Oklahoma game, but I will say this. There was a, there was a, a parallel that I saw yesterday yesterday. You know, Marvin Bagley had 31 points, was 11 of 13 from the field, added another 10 boards, had four blocks, was typical Bagley. He was able to do things and looked so fluid and efficient and and got it done. And again, he just still looks like he's always playing in third gear. That's a compliment to him because there is no one in college basketball that I watch that does it with as much ease as him. But like Trey Young, Duke learned that you just simply can't rely on your very best player and think that it's going to get the job done, particularly on the road. Grayson Allen, pick up the courtesy phone, please, because you're a senior. You have to be playing better than this. It was a little weird to me to watch this Duke team struggle defensively, but then not look to get Grayson involved because he is going to have to be the guy, in my opinion. Bagley, go ahead. Put up 30. You know what? You're going to win some games for Duke going down the stretch here because you've already done it earlier than the season. I guarantee you there will be big-time opportunities on the road, in the conference tournament, and in the NCAA tournament where even if Bagley's doing his thing, Grayson Allen, as a senior, as the only true veteran on this team, he is going to need to provide some sort of, of... it's it's a freaking cliche term. I hate using it, but some sort of spark. Like he's going to his play. If he's if he's feeling it, if he's getting involved as the guy who should really be the second best player on the team, he's got to get more involved. So what Duke had happened there yesterday, I don't think it can have uh, a habit of turning it into any kind of pattern because then the team's going to really be in trouble. On top of all the defensive stuff here, you simply can't have Grayson disappearing. I mean, he only took five shots from two point range. Was nine shots for the game. It was uh, bizarre because he played 39 minutes, by the way. So I'm sure that's something that the staff is very, very aware of. Um, the team just isn't deep at this point. Uh, you know, I think everyone that follows college basketball, in particular Duke fans, have serious concern about this team's just defensive lack of ability, accountability. They are weird to watch on that end of the floor, and then you go see how good they are on the other end. It's not even like YMCA pickup ball or anything like that because a lot of the stuff they're running is actually really impressive when they have the ball. Grayson's got to play much more consistently, command the ball more. I'm not going to say whether he needs to be a bigger leader or not because, honestly, I don't know if that really truly matters at this point in the season or not. But all, all I do know is... What he was yesterday during that game cannot be what his role is. Otherwise, Duke's going out before the Sweet 16 again this season. Well, remember, Duke's biggest win, that was that neutral court Champions Classic victory over Michigan State. Uh, Grayson took 20 shots in that game, and he's only taken 20 shots in a game once since then. I'm not saying he needs to be taking 20 shots a game. I'm just saying that uh, he hasn't even attempted to do or he's rarely attempted to do what he did against Michigan State. And some of that may have to do with, remember, Bagley was out that game. 
Um, and, and perhaps the answer is they got to find a little bit of a balance between Grayson and, and, and Bagley and how they handle that on the offensive end. But their issues clearly are on the defensive end. To, be, uh, to repeat myself, they've got the number one ranked um, offense in America. So whatever's happening on that end is not the problem. It's the other end. And I saw Jay Williams talking about this yesterday on ESPN, and I thought he was good. He said their issues are um, they're, they're trying to play two bigs together, you know, and, and most other teams don't play two bigs together and it's just causing pick and roll nightmare situations on the defensive end. Like uh, Bagley and Carter are getting put, put in, in pick and roll situations that they're not equipped to handle and teams are just exploiting that. And one of the suggestions he made, and I think Seth Greenberg might've backed him up on this was like, um, they're going to have to play even more zone than they're already playing. And uh, Mike Krzyzewski had gone, I believe literally decades without playing uh, zone. Yeah. Until 2015, when he had Okafor, and then they started playing zone. I feel like I was at the game. Maybe it was a win over Louisville. We're just out of nowhere. They played zone, and then they played it a little more that year, and they ended up winning a national championship. But they're going to have to rely on that more than they have been, and probably more than Mike wants to, because it, you know, it, it's January 7th. You can get better defensively, you know, in the man. It's clearly. But like, can you get can you get good enough if you're Duke, having performed this way, to go win a national championship? Because that's the goal. I don't know. You might just have to get creative. I'm fascinated to see what happens there. I know we talk a lot about Duke on this podcast because, well, damn, they're interesting and people are interested in them. Similar to Kentucky. Um, well, you know, let's see where they go going forward. GP, who do they have on the schedule upcoming here? The Blue Devils have uh, Pitt coming up. If they, if they lose at Pitt, they're not going to do for them. So if they, they lose Pitt, at Pitt, uh, <laughs> we'll reassess in a major Pitt. way if they lose <laughs> at Pitt. It's a road game, uh, but they should win that easily. You don't lose at Pitt this year. Um, they got Wake Forest at home next weekend, and then they get at Miami, which is obviously going to be a test. Yeah. And then Pitt, Pitt at home. Ooh, they get Pitt twice in four games. That's, yeah, that's a good way to get, to get... get you. That's a good one. How about this? Their next five games? This is weird. It's Pitt, Wake, Miami, Pitt, Wake. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, let's see what happens with that Miami game. Um, that Yeah, that's that's interesting. As we speak, Miami's beaten Florida State. They should win that game at home. Uh, shout out to the hardcores listening to this on Sunday night. Um, third team in the, uh, that was uh, defeated this weekend, GP, by a non-ranked team. Third team, I guess I should say, in the top five. Xavier Musketeers, and they go on the road, you know, like two weeks ago I debated going to this game, and then the snow stuff came, and it was just a busy weekend and all that stuff, so I wound up not going. I regretted it because uh, the Dunkin' Donuts Center, uh, Providence fans are just tremendous and sometimes tremendously inappropriate. That building looked like a frat party, and I say that endearingly. That looked like a great, great time. Good win for Providence, which needed it to keep its NCAA uh, tournament hopes just, you know, Head above water, so to speak, and I, I really I don't think there's too much to, to say with Xavier with this. I mean, they were riding a 10-game winning streak. It was the first time they'd been in the top five pool. In pro, it was either the first time they'd ever been in top five in in program history, or the five ranking they had matched the best they've ever had in the AP poll. Uh, they take a loss here. What's tricky, though, um, is that now they, they go and they play Villanova, and that's going to be a really good game on Wednesday. And, you know, jockeying for position within the Big East for that game. So it sets up, I think, a little more. It was going to be a big game no matter what, GP, but it just sets up a little more urgency there 
Uh, I love the Big East this year. I think it's really, really fascinating. Seton Hall right now is actually the only team in the league without a loss. You've got Xavier and Nova and Creighton that are logjammed all with one loss. And then, you, you know, Butler, Providence, uh, Marquette have two losses there. Um, any any kind of thoughts on uh, on either the X-Men or the Friars getting the biggest win of their season so far? Well, if I were a Xavier, I would have tried to take Marcus Howard. Uh, into the Dunkin' Donuts Center with yeah. me because it certainly worked out for Marquette the other night when he got uh, 52. Yeah, I, honestly, I just think that's one of those where, you know, you're playing a quality team on the road. It, something like that's going to happen to somebody every weekend. You know, like uh, whether it's Xavier, Michigan State, Duke, somebody, somebody ranked in the top 10 every weekend is going to go lose a road game to a quality but unranked opponent. And that's, that's what happened to Xavier. You know, I, I never had them in the top five. Uh, Xavier fans and some Xavier coaches <laughs> were asking questions about mm-hmm. why, uh, but um, but like I mean I still think they're good and I, this loss doesn't make me think they're bad. I just think that you know Ed Cooley is terrific and on the road you're gonna you're gonna lose games. If you're Mike Krzyzewski, it's gonna happen to you. If you're Tom Izzo, it's gonna happen to you. And if it's Chris Mack, it's gonna happen to you. Well, as well, I want to switch to the B12 because it was an interesting Saturday in that league, and I guess it's going to be an interesting Saturday in that league every um, every weekend because I think 90% of the teams are in the top 50 or top 55 at Ken Palm. And so uh, the two big results, I think, were um, Kansas winning at TCU. Who had, game that? Last... Who had that, buddy? You had that pegged correctly. I did not, um, per usual. What are we thinking, Kansas, Kansas or the field to finish the top of the standings right now for you? I, I, would, I would still take the field. I know. I sure, I'm sure you would, but we're going to do this week by week just to, just yeah, to see uh, where you're at. And if and, would, and if you uh, wind up doubling back, let's just see when that happens. I, I figured you still would, take the field. I would still take the field, but Kansas goes in there and wins. And I think um, like, it's, a, it's, it's big that they won. It would have been bigger if they lost because taking a second loss and now you're like that's when all the questions about okay is the streak going to end would have really become big big college basketball questions. They quiet all that down by going into TCU and um, and winning in the you know in a game that was tight in the in the final minutes um, and then the high, highest profile game I think of the entire weekend uh, was Trey Young going to West Virginia and West Virginia um, uh, handled that one fairly easily um and i think you wrote about that right yeah i did um if you uh and our our just just to uh make uh make sure everybody understands like i i thought you wrote about that you have to understand from 6 15 a.m you were flying saturday morning till 4 45 p.m i was on one of three different planes trying to get home um from new york so anything that happened during the day yesterday I was I I'm not unaware. Obviously, I have to be aware, but I didn't see it, so I didn't see very much of of Trey Young and 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 West Virginia. No, I got you. Hey, by the way, real quick, fourth and twenty eight, Panthers. Oh, Cam Newton, he's getting sacked. The Saints are going to win. We yes, we are recording this in the middle of an NFL game, and wow, what a way to clinch it there. Oh well. Um. So, uh, our colleague Reed Forgrave was at the Kansas TCU game. I recommend you go read his column from there. It's at CBSSports.com. I wrote a column about Trey Young and West Virginia. Um. Before I get into that, uh, GP, I think you make the case West Virginia is, should be the number one team in your rankings. Do you agree or disagree right now? I would. Not disagree. I do not believe they're going to be number one in the top twenty-five and one. I think Villanova is. 
Um, because honestly, it's hard. I have Villanova number two right now and West Virginia number three. So why would I jump West Virginia over Villanova on a Sunday where neither of them played? Okay. It would just be a little it'd be a little harder for me to justify. But I, let me put it this way. If somebody wants to vote West Virginia number one in the country tomorrow, I got no issue with it at all. Yeah. West Virginia, Villanova, Virginia. If you really want to get creative and make a case for Texas Tech, those are the only teams that are really in the discussion right now, in my opinion. But even Texas Tech, which is don't get me wrong, fourteen and one, they're off to a good start. I really think it comes down between the uh, the Wildcats, the Wahoos, and the Mountaineers. Now, West Virginia gets a really impressive win. Uh, Javon Carter is able to do what I think we both said would happen here on the podcast. Um, West Virginia flustered Trey Young, who, by the way, has his worst game of his college career. If you just like, if you see the stat line, you're like, okay, no, that's you know, it's all right. Twenty nine points, five assists, eight turnovers. If you watched the game, you saw Trey Young visibly frustrated and taking. Listen, he has the green light to take a few thirty four footers, but even a couple of them were quick, ill advised, um, almost just you know, get him out of my system kind of shots there. The scheme West Virginia runs and having Javon Carter, who had foul trouble and was not guarding him all game, by the way, but guarded him enough, was extremely impressive. It's something that I really I don't think many players can can duplicate. Trey Young, um, I don't know if he scored once when Carter was guarding him Uh, multiple times on the perimeter and when and Young was when Young was trying to penetrate. Uh, Carter was stripping him, and he picked his pocket clean a couple of times, and there were a couple of times where he stripped him, and it might have been even been off on him or West Virginia, but it was just a really, really good defensive play and gotten and gotten Young's head. And Trey got back into it a little bit. Start of the second half, he was playing okay. Um, but ultimately, big-time win for West Virginia, which has not lost since the season started when it dropped that game against Texas A&M. They have the longest winning streak in the country right now, I believe, with Michigan State losing. I'm pretty sure WVAU has uh, more wins in a row than anyone else uh, in college hoops right now. For Oklahoma, still you know, very much in the discussion to be a top 12 to 15 team. If you still want to say they're even top 10, I'm not going to argue with you too much because this was a road game, and West Virginia's a top 10 team. But what Oklahoma learned, like Duke is, yeah, Trey Young can do his thing here, but this is a team that's got other pieces around him. It's not just all Trey. It absolutely isn't because when you're averaging north of 90 a game and Trey Young's responsible for you know a little less than a third of that directly, um, if you include insists, obviously it's getting closer and closer to 40%. But there are other guys that are able to score for that team. But they, they realize that, listen, even if there's only two, three, four other teams in America that are going to be able to do defensively to us what West Virginia did, we're going to have to be able to not just think that Trey Young is going to bail us out, drop 35, get 11 dimes, three steals, and shoot 55% from the field. It's not going to always happen like that. So in a weird way, Parrish, I was actually kind of glad to see this kind of game. I wanted to see Trey Young hit a wall. I wanted to see him struggle because I want to see how he responds from it. And it makes his run at least a little more interesting. It's almost like college basketball on the whole. Like, we were talking on a few podcasts ago how you like having an undefeated dominant team. I do too, but I kind of like the fact that no one knows what the hell's going on right now, and it makes it really interesting to try and figure out which teams are going to be able to separate themselves in the coming weeks right now because there's a whole lot of questions out there. Trey Young's still the national front runner for player of the year, but this was uh, clearly, starkly uh, a different version of him than from any other game we've seen this season. The West Virginia-Oklahoma game, from what I did see of it, and certainly the result, um, kind of played out about the way I thought it would play out. 
Like you take a team that is riding a high led by an unbelievable freshman and you put them in a situation unlike anything they've dealt with. And I don't just mean a hostile environment. They'd already been to Wichita. They'd already been to uh, TCU. So they had played in front of big, loud, opposing crowds. But it's way different when the other team just says, you know what? We're about to get in your ass full court for 40 minutes. It wears you out uh, physically, but also mentally. I mean, you talk to players who aren't used to playing against that after they play against that for the first time, and it it it, it wears you down. And, and not just from a physical standpoint, it also wears you down mentally, which is what leads to what you were talking about. Some of the ill-advised shots, and you know that come quickly. You know why they come quickly? Get this out of my hands. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't want, I don't want to take a, I don't want to dribble this even one more time. And it looked like, you know, Javon Carter looked like a 22, 23 year old senior, like saying, "All right, kid, let's go." You know, there is a big difference. It doesn't always look like it, but there's a big difference between an 18 year old and a 23 year old. He is a and man. He's a man. He is, man. And, uh, he was not messing around. That was an absolute statement game. Uh, that was just – that was really impressive to see Carter do what he did because he might be the best defender in all of college basketball. He looked like it and was, is worthy of – you know, that's the type of – you know, he's never going to go out and get – or at least I don't think – you know, 40 like like Trey Young can. But doing that to Trey Young, so – like – and I guess it won't show up completely in the box score, but anybody that set their eyes on that game, like recognize what he did, what he did to mess with both physically and mentally a young guy who had been dominating college basketball consistently was super impressive. As impressive as anything anybody did in college basketball this weekend. And that's, you know, as long as West Virginia keeps humming along like this, and they won't keep humming along like this, like they're going to have to go on the road too and play great teams. And then and that's when their losses will come. But as long as they stay in the top 10, I think Javon Carter has got a, a serious claim to be an All-American. Very serious claim. He's looking really good right now. West Virginia, you know, that it was it was just it was cool to see for those that were looking forward to that game. And West Virginia has well established its press Virginia reputation over the past three or four years. They were ready for that. And it was uh, it was just, you know, I, I like sometimes when what we think is going to happen happens, but in still an entertaining way. GP, real quick, two results here. We talked a lot about high profile teams taking losses. Kentucky did as well. Arizona yep. did as well. So just some quick comments on that. Um, Kentucky was in it for the first half. That second half, they looked brutal. Kevin Knox and Hamadou Diallo are better players than what they've shown so far this season. Uh, Knox in particular, I keep waiting for him to make the leap. It's simply not happening. That win was pretty big for Tennessee to get right because the Volunteers I think are going to have quite a bizarre resume by the time we get to Selection Sunday. They prevent themselves from having a three-game losing streak. Big time win for them. Kentucky, I don't know what to make of them, man. They're 12-3. This looks like the... Just the the worst team Calipari's had since he got to Kentucky. It just does, man. Like the Nerlens Well team, I know they didn't make the tournament, but also he got hurt. And if he doesn't get hurt that year, I still think they would have wound up making the NCAA's. I think this team will as well. But uh, but Calipari said in the in the uh, in the post game himself, he was like, "Man, team scout us. They know they can throw us around." We're just still not where we need to be defensively and overall. And then Deshaun Miller said, "I don't know if I can get my guys to play hard." Colorado comes out of nowhere has. Arguably the best 48-hour run of any team in America. Arizona has its long winning streak snapped. Um, and Colorado, which is nowhere near tournament berth at this point, uh, beats Arizona State. 
and then beats Arizona. Granted, both games were at home. Good on Tad Boyle. He told me that you know this is just a really talented freshman class, and we've got some good, solid veterans. They're capable. They're just really inconsistent. They finally clicked all overall. Shout out to Tad Boyle, um, really one of the more underrated coaches. And his quote in the postgame GP, I don't know if you saw this, but he was asked if it felt good to beat Arizona after all the FBI stuff. And I'll try and get his inflection right here. It was hell yes. And then he went on to give some compliments to Sean as a coach and all that stuff. But it was clearly a guy who has not been afraid to speak out about this and would put his reputation on the line for being a clean recruiter. Um, it was obviously a big weekend for him. Yeah. Um, Sean's comments post game were interesting. Like you don't usually hear a coach say what he said the way he said it. You know, like Roy Williams, you know, after Carolina lost this weekend at Virginia, said, you know, I didn't have my players ready to play and that's on me. That's that's a pretty cliched thing that yeah. losing coaches say. Right. You know, like, hey, I didn't have my guys ready. That's on me. It's my job to get these guys ready. It's my job to prepare my guys, blah, blah, blah. Sean, and I don't know if you heard it or saw it, but the, even the look on his face I thought meant something. He was like, these guys won't play for me. I can't get them to play for me. I don't know how to get them to play for me. Like really, I don't want to say bizarre, just unusual. Unusual thing for a coach to say, I cannot get my guys to, they won't play for me. Like I don't I don't remember another coach saying something quite like that. And it, it suggests that he's really, um, despite the winning streak that they were on, he's, he's struggling to try to get this, team to maximize uh, its potential relative to its roster and he perhaps he's known that privately for a while but he put it out there on front street saturday he did and i'm glad you mentioned that because it was an unusual thing because when you hear coaches say this kind of stuff i mean a lot of the time they're going to be saying to the media what they said in the locker room to their own team and then there's a lot of stuff that coaches will say in the locker room that you and I and everyone else is just never going to know uh, because it's for the locker room. And there's certain things, certain feelings, <laughs> truthful, that uh, they don't disclose because, honestly, it's it's a terrible look if you're a coach and constantly killing your team publicly. Um, not the best way to continually keep your job and land good recruits. You have to find that fine line between constructive criticism and wanting to be honest with the media and what you want to really try and filter out and uh, keep within, uh, within your own doors. For Miller, it was interesting to hear him say that because Arizona had been playing better. Aiton, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a vexing thing to see him not as, uh, I guess, as much of a focal point in that game as I guess he could have been and should have been. But, um, but yeah, just overall, man, just a very eventful weekend with high-profile teams taking losses, and we got a lot of interesting stuff here to come uh, in January. Before we get to the Teddy Valentine stuff, anything well, else on, left second. over yeah, well, game-wise? Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to circle back to Kentucky real okay. quick because um, – you know they they were they were fine in the first half and then just terrible in the second half. Kevin Knox one of nine from the field he was awful. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander one of six uh, from the field. He had been playing well. Obviously didn't hear. Um, Hamadou Diallo only played uh, 16 minutes. He had foul trouble for much of this. And though Tennessee has proven to be better than we thought it was going to be, truth is just a few days ago they lost at home to Auburn. Right. So it's not like it's impossible to go into Thompson Bowling and win. Uh, Carolina had already done it. Kentucky had already done it. And now you look at Kentucky's resume. I mean, again, it's January 7th and there's just not much there. You know, after the 76 65 loss in Knoxville on Saturday night, the, uh, Kentucky's just two and three against the top 50 at Kenpom. They're um, 
I think also two and three outside of Rupp Arena. Um, their best win is over a Louisville team that's I don't know how good Louisville is. Uh, you know they they're zero and two. Um, I, I believe against teams that are also ranked in the top 25 and one. And it, you know, the good news for them, or I guess it could be bad news, but the good news right now is they've got opportunities coming up to get quality wins. They got a Florida game. They got A&M on Tuesday night, which projects as a big game for both teams. Cause like A&M's 0-3 in the SEC right now. The team was ranked in the top 10 in the AP poll literally two weeks ago. Now they're 0-3 in the SEC. And Kentucky, like anytime Kentucky loses two straight games, the whole fan base flips out. So, like, it, it's big for, for, for both teams. But um, I stand by what I've said about Kentucky for a long time. They can be great. Actually, I don't know if that's true anymore. But they can be really good. But they're, they're not really good right now. And they certainly don't have a resume that suggests they're really good. Kentucky fans have been all over me for putting them at 24th in the top 25 and 1. But, like, Ken Palm's got them 22nd. And when you start really looking at the resume, they haven't accomplished much. They've won 12 of their 15 games, but they haven't accomplished much. There's not much substance there yet. And, um, yeah, I don't know if it's better or worse than the Nerlens Noel team, pre-Nerlens getting hurt. But I remember people having, you know, asking big, big questions about that team before he got hurt. And now here we are with this Kentucky team. Like, is this going to be um, – uh, a, a first weekend NCAA tournament team, it probably looks more like that right now than it does an Elite Eight team. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what Cal can do and where Kentucky goes from here. We'll obviously reassess this on the podcast coming up soon. Uh, Seth Davis got Ted Valentine on the phone, has an article up at The Athletic, and Valentine, I don't know if this is for real or not, but he's saying, like, I'm considering retirement because – Jay Billis's tweet after what I did to Joel Berry ignited this social media storm. People are overreacting to everything. Um, Valentine is one of the few officials that, you know, there's John Higgins, Ted Valentine, uh, Tim Higgins back in the day, but I don't, Higgins isn't even working anymore. Um, very few, re- like within a media circles and coaches and maybe hardcore fans, they might know, but really Valentine is the most well-known official. And I Eddie will remind, Hightower, Eddie Hightower. True. Hightower is definitely up there. I will remind listeners that we polled north of a hundred coaches last summer and Valentine finished third when we asked them who the best ref in college basketball was um he was taken off two assignments by the acc over the weekend and he voluntarily took himself off of working a big 10 game a low-level big 10 game georgia tech playing yale not exactly uh you know a headlining game there um so we'll also see not exactly a big 10 game uh yeah you're right actually so uh, <laughs> um so wait you know it's yeah the big 10 took him off too and then he took himself off of an acc contest those are the two right consortiums that he works with there um he's highly regarded in the industry i don't know if he'll retire or if he won't uh but i wondered what your thoughts were on valentine in the wake of the barry stuff which wasn't a good look but apparently you know after the cameras cut away he wound up talking to bear i don't know I, there are thoughts that like tv and people reacted harder than they should have but at the same time like what's valentine doing to begin with like it's it was a jackass move to turn your back on a player who was not being like over, he was just like, dude, what's going on? He held me, and then Valentine didn't even give him the time of day. Sometimes it's easier just to say, you know what? I didn't handle that so well. I wish I would have handled it differently. And then just be done with it. Like it's okay to just say that every, you know, like we all do things um, that in the moment that we would rather not do, or would rather, or or would uh, would have wished we would have handled it differently. Sometimes it's publicly. 
most times it's privately. Um, in Teddy's case, it was on television. But he was clearly in the wrong. He looked like a jerk. So just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't handle that well. I wish I would have handled it differently. And next time I will. And then everybody's like, okay, sounds good to me. Like people don't want to stay mad at you. That's at least my experiences. I know I didn't learn it till later in life, uh, but like, there's, it's okay to just say, you know what? Uh, yeah, maybe I was in the wrong there. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I hope you can forgive me. And then just move on. Usually people just move on with you. And yet Teddy's approach was to essentially cry to Seth Davis. Yeah. Like I might, I might stop officiating college basketball games because people are blowing things up on social. Like what? Hold up. If you're an official and the breaking point for you is criticism, you probably got into the wrong profession because I don't know that there's a public profession you can get into that is more centered around you being criticized nonstop than being a, an official of some sort, whether, and usually a basketball official because there's so many whistles blown throughout a game. So like, what? You've been, you've spent decades having fans and coaches and players and boosters and everybody scream at you, come into an arena to scream at you while you work. And now Jay Billis's tweet is what's going to send you over the edge. Like, get out of here. He sounds yeah. silly. I actually like when officials are willing to speak out. And in my, if it was most other referees, I think this would have been a really good thing for them to, uh, to be willing to go on the record because honestly, um, whether in any regard, I guess as a media person specifically, I I, I want officials to speak out more, um, and I know fans want to hear from them more. Valentine's the exception by him doing this the way that he did it. He actually makes it worse on himself. And if he way is worse. truly considering retirement, um, saying what he said here will only just bring more attention to him, uh, college basketball fishing overall, and it's just not going to make the rest of his season any easier. So you know, keep that in mind. Oh, we'll oh see what by the works. way, if you're asking me to uh, arm ch to to um you know, be a psychologist from the sofa, I would say that Teddy, Va Teddy Valentine saying what he said to Seth so that it would create a headline of that he might walk away from the game is no different than Teddy Valentine turning his back on Joel Berry or no different than Teddy Valentine taking 17 steps to, to call a charge. It, yeah. it brings more attention on himself. He doesn't, not, he doesn't dislike the attention. He loves the attention. It's a weird response from him. Yeah. All right, GP. Well, uh, I'm glad you're back home and safe. You're going to be back in New York in a matter of like 16 hours or whatever. But uh, we'll get another podcast later this week. And, hey, man, it was great talk. This was a really cool, uh, interesting weekend. I know a lot of people were interested to get our reactions as soon as possible. So we told you we weren't sure if we were going to do this on Sunday. We made it happen. We love you. Shouts. To Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And please rate it favorably. You guys have been great about that. Um, we appreciate it. If I don't say it enough, that's my fault. But we appreciate it. It really does. It, it helps. Uh, it helps us in a variety of ways, including with our bosses. So if you get a chance to go subscribe, please do that. And if you can rate it favorably, and by that I mean five stars and also nice comments, um, we'd owe you forever. Like Norlanda said, we're going to talk to you again later on this week. Till then, take care. <laughs>